friends, and welcome to the Wisdom for Life broadcast. This is Pastor Glenn with another episode that we hope will bless you. Hey church, I want to welcome you back to our series in Judges. Tonight we're on Gideon Part 2, and we're in Chapter 7, and I'm just going to go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Father God, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this time that we can share together. Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, and thank you that God, he gave his life for us so that we might live forever with you. We call upon your Holy Spirit, God, at this moment, and we ask that your spirit would talk to us tonight, speak to our hearts, so that we might become more like your son, Jesus, and spend eternity in heaven with you. We give you the praise and thanks for it in Jesus' name, amen. So tonight on part two of Gideon, we are going to be talking about the underdog secret, the secret of the underdog. We know that Gideon was in fact an underdog, and I don't know about you, but I enjoy an underdog story, a good underdog story. And probably one of my favorite cartoons as a kid was the cartoon Underdog. And in the theme, I used to love it, it would say this, it says, when criminals in this world appear and break the laws that they should fear and frighten all those who see or hear, the cry goes up both far and near for underdog. And I, I would love it just before the cartoon would start, there'd be a little old lady and a, a little kid and maybe a shopkeeper and one would say, I, I think it's a, a, a bird. And another one would say, I think it's a plane. And the little old lady would say, no, it's a frog. And as underdog would fly through the air, he would swoop down right into their midst and say, not bird, no plane, nor even frog. It's just little old me, underdog. I just love that cartoon. I love underdog stories. I love the Karate Kid, which is a underdog story. I also like Rocky Balboa, all the Rockies, but probably Rocky Five is my favorite. And if you're old enough with me, you remember the 1980 Olympics where the American team beat the Soviet team in ice hockey. And man, that was, that was fantastic. I remember watching that just going bananas in my bedroom on that little black and white, uh, uh, semi, uh, semi-color TV. The color would go out, it would go black and white all the time. And, uh, but it, it was cool to have one in my room back in the day. So tonight, I just want to speak to being an underdog and how you are God's underdog, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been called to so much more. As I explained last week, Gideon uh, was not your typical hero. He uh, was first uh, called by God. If you remember, he was at the bottom of a wine press and he was there threshing wheat. And that's a terrible place to be, by the way, because that wine press would be about six feet down. It'd be like a hole in the ground and it'd be a cement hole. And then in order to get the juice from the grapes, that would be another three or four feet down. So he was way down at the bottom of that wine press and he was sifting wheat, right? And uh, the wind should blow by and blow away the chaff, but how many of you know that the air was blowing by the top of that wine press and he probably wasn't getting much wheat sifted. Anyway, that's where God met him through a messenger, an angel, I believe, what we call a Christophany, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ and met him there where he was at his lowest point and said these words to him, Gideon, almighty oh man of valor. So he may have seemed like an underdog. 
he, he was certainly in a low place. He even told the angel or, or, or Jesus in that moment, the messenger, that uh, he's the least from the least tribe. And yet God chose him to be the next judge. And we read in uh, Judges chapter 7, verse 1, then Jerubbabel, and if you remember last week, that's Gideon's nickname here. It's the nickname given to him by his dad after he overthrew the idol, the Baal. But he did it in the middle of the night so nobody could, you know, see what he was up to. He didn't want to do it during the day when everybody could see it was actually him. Uh, but Jerubbabel would be the one who topples over Baal. Uh, we called it last week, Baal Tail Whooper. That's Gideon, right? It says, Then Jerubbabel and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them. Then in verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many. They're too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. Lest Israel should boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. And you ought to marinate on that and let that simmer just a little bit in your spirit there because it's probably one of my favorite Old Testament verses. God is saying there's too many troops. I need a lesser amount in order to bring more of my power into the situation. You can learn a lot about how God works from that type of paradigm right there. Verse three, it says, Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let them return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and only 10,000 remained. And, you know, there's that statement there, whoever is fearful and trembling. And I just wonder if Gideon was one of them and, and maybe tried to hide amongst the group that was leaving. And God just maybe just said, oh, not you, Gideon, get back here. You're going to be my underdog in this story. And so in verse four, it says this, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and Let's read on. Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And then verse six. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths with the water was 300 men. Because like who does that, right? Brings up water to their mouth. That's me, by the way. And then maybe it's you too. I don't, uh, I don't want to be like this next group. Verse 7, it says, And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who laughed, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the, others, let all the other men go home. And you say, what is the symbolism there? Some of them laughed like a dog, and some of them just got their faces all the way down into the water to drink. Well, maybe you can picture this with me right now. If you're going to drink some water and if you take your head and you go all the way down to the source of the water, what kind of vision do you have? What kind of uh, perception or perspective do you have on your surroundings? All you're concerned with is your thirst. I think there might be something there because God said the men that actually pulled the water up and lapped it like a dog, those are the ones that are going to stay with you. And that was only 300, by the way. This is the original 300, way before... Uh, the movie or uh, before the, that Greek battle that was fought later on in history. So think about this. God intentionally, two times, intentionally weakened 
Gideon's army. There's so much to learn from that, and I just want to dive right in to what those principles might be. First of all, number one, when God wants to use us, he often begins by weakening us. He allows us to be in situations where we are weaker in our own self-confidence and in our own strength, not stronger. Now that sounds counterintuitive. That may make you to think that God isn't on your side, but he most certainly is. For God to be able to bring and show his power through us, he must pull us away from what we think is our strengths so that we might focus completely on revealing his strength and his power and trusting in that alone. You see, God never delights in hurting us, but God wants us to trust him, to depend on him. That's the most important thing. And that's the most important thing we can ever learn in life. So sometimes God reduces the size of our army so that we have no choice but to trust him and him alone. You say, what does that mean, God reducing my army? Well, let me give you a, a, a couple of pictures here. Maybe as you get older, you're not as strong as you used to, but you begin to grow in wisdom. You begin to grow in your trust in God's strength, and you begin to show more of God's power in meekness and in kindness and in love. And you have even a greater effect because you're no longer trusting in your flesh to get God's work done. You're depending on his Holy Spirit. How about your job? Sometimes God might uh, bring you to a place in your job where you have a setback. But I want you to remember tonight that every setback that we experience as believers is really a setup in God's hands. What do I mean? Well, simply put is, sometimes we look at a pullback in our life and we think we're going the opposite direction. But the reality is, God has our lives like an arrow in a bow, and he's pulling us back only to promote us with a great release so that we can fly forward. What happens is, is we trust in him even more. So there's many ways that God may cause us to be limited in our own strength, in our, in our army, like Gideon was. Maybe one other way would be possessions. Maybe God would call you to a place that in order to follow him, like the rich young ruler, in order to follow him, that you must sell some things or get rid of some, give, give some things away so that you have the freedom in your life, so that you have uh, less attachments and more concentration on spending time with the Lord and doing what God has called you to do. You know, if you were to pack up everything in your life right now, it couldn't go with you anywhere God wanted to call you. Sometimes you have to be willing to scale back so that you can do more and pull forward in God's grace and in God's power. If dependency then is completely on Christ and that's the objective, then watch this. That kind of weakness is actually to your advantage. And that's what God is teaching us here. Throughout the book of Judges, there's an overarching kind of theme. If you remember, God chose Deborah and Jael. He used women, which no one expected would bring about the great victory that even preceded here uh, in uh, Gideon's life. Maybe you're at a place right now where God has kind of diminished your army or your strength a little bit. Put your hope in God alone. Maybe you're at a place that maybe your spouse has failed you, but please know that God will fill every void. God will not fail you. Maybe you're at a place where you've been laid off. 
Maybe recently your health has started to fail you. But God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. God will give you the strength that you need. God is a supplier. He's always there and God is faithful. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, where he says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. How about that? So that Christ's power may rest on me. So that's the point. When God wants to use us, often he allows us to get just a little bit weaker before we become stronger in him. And here's number two. God will send salvation not through human might, but through the weakness of our humble obedience. You know, the book of Judges starts out with Joshua. He's strong and he's mighty and he has a mighty army that God uses. But then it ends up with Ehud. We talked about him just a couple weeks ago who had a withered hand and yet God used him mightily. On to Deborah and Jael, on to Gideon. God uses weakness and he uses it to be a vessel for his strength. Think about this time and time again. Jesus was used by God. He was confronted with, the whole world was confronted rather with the weakness that Jesus had. Before his trial, we find him washing the disciples' feet. The activity of the lowest form of a servant was right there. During his trial, he was maligned and mocked. He was spat upon, unable to defend himself. He was so weak he couldn't carry his own cross. In fact, he needed help with that. He dies then with his hands stretched out wide, nailed to a cross, the ultimate picture of weakness. Well, God's got Gideon's army down to the size that he needs it, folks. And so we read in verse 9 how things begin to pan out. Next, we see that same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. Verse 10. But you are afraid to go down. Go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. I love that. God says, but if you're afraid to go down... I want to send somebody with you. How many of you know we all need a friend? And God didn't stop using Gideon just because he needed somebody to go with him. I'm thinking of Moses. The same thing happened as Moses was called by God to go and confront Pharaoh. He said, you know, I'm not a man of great speech. And, and some scholars have even said uh, that maybe Moses had a stuttering problem or he wasn't a great orator at all. Um, it doesn't end that way. You know, the rest of the story, God certainly uh, uses Moses to write the Torah and to preach and to teach and, and to lead Israel through the wilderness, uh, four million uh, plus strong. But God says, it's okay, you take Aaron with you to go and confront Pharaoh. I just wonder if you need somebody to go with you. Uh, maybe there's someone at the church or maybe maybe I could be that, that friend to you. Would you please reach out, just private message us, even online this week. Private message us in the church and we'll get back to you. Maybe we can pray with you or call you or bring our faith together with you so that you can overcome what you're facing and what you're going through. Gideon certainly needed it. Let's look at verse 12. And the Midianites, it says, they lay along the valley like locusts in abundance and their camels were without number as the sand is on the seashore in abundance. Verse 13, when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp. 
of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. Verse 14. And his comrade answered, there is no other than the sword of Gideon. This is no other rather than the sword of Gideon. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. This is really, really cool stuff here. Um, I, I, there's a vision here that is seen. And this vision here is seen in such a way that it starts a stir. And uh, it's a vision of a barley cake, uh, a cake of barley that just tumbles into the camp and destroys a tent. And uh, I just think, for me, I think of biscuits. And uh, I, I think of those really thick biscuits that you get from Pil Pillsbury with all the butter in it. And uh, oh man, those are so good. I could take about two of those with some, some gravy anytime. Sausage gravy on biscuits is great. And I want you to see this. It's a picture of not a spear, not a sword, not a hurricane, uh, not even a rock that comes down. It's a tumbling piece of bread, or today it's a tumbling biscuit. It's like here comes Team Biscuit. Imagine this, a, a football team called the Biscuits, and they've got a mascot that's just a big Pillsbury boy, and he runs out on the football field, and imagine that team winning the day, and imagine them being the smallest team uh, that ever played football, going up against the largest team and the most successful team that had ever played, and imagine Team Biscuit winning the day. That's this vision that this man has. Now Gideon recognizes that this is in fact God reassuring him. So in verse 15 we read, as soon as Gideon heard of the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And that's the third thing we can learn very quickly from this story, that God patiently deals with our faltering faith. I find it really comforting in this story, how God takes such time and patience to reassure Gideon and how it comes from different places. You know, Gideon is allowed to go down with Pura. Gideon also receives this word from the camp about a biscuit, about a barley cake rolling into the camp of the Midianites and destroying them. God again and again is reassuring Gideon. God tonight, I hope is reassuring you, is stirring up your faith, is comforting you, is showing you that he is strong, even in areas where we are weak. You know, I think about that man that approached Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verse 22. It says, a man with a sick son came to Jesus and said this, Jesus, if you're able to do something, have pity. You know, I would expect Jesus to have said to this man, if, what do you mean if I'm able? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know? Instead, Jesus says everything Everything is possible for those who believe. The man's response is interesting too. He says, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief, right? Now, at this point, if I were Jesus, I might have said something like, well, you double-minded man, you're unstable in all your ways. Go and learn some scripture and memorize it really well. Come back and quote that well to me and, and do it in faith and in boldness and maybe I'll heal your son. That's not what Jesus did. In fact, the scriptures say in Mark, Jesus healed the boy. Maybe you're like me and you doubt all the time. You have belief, but you need God to help you with your unbelief. I want to remind you tonight that God isn't turning away from you. 
He'll take what little faith you have in him and he'll multiply it. He'll fill that area of unbelief with hope and he'll fill your heart with hope in him. He'll show up in those weak areas with his strength. That leads us on to number four. At some point, you got to take the risk. At some point, you got to obey God. You got to take a step of faith. Think about what's going on here in this scene. Gideon is afraid and God is trying to reassure him here. So God tells him to go deep into the Midianite camp, close enough to overhear a conversation that's in the Midianite tent. And what's the lesson here? God will patiently develop your faith, but it requires you from time to time to take steps of faith. That's awesome, isn't it? That blesses me tonight. I need to take steps of faith, but God is always faithful in those steps. And he gives us another word and another directive from his word each time we're willing to take another step of faith. I want to remind you what the scriptures say in Psalm 119, 105. It says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, God's word and his hope and his, and his power that comes from his word moves ahead of us as we move. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Imagine this, if it's a lamp unto my feet, each and every time I take another step and another step, the light moves forward and ahead. I may not be able to see what's completely ahead of me, but that's okay. As long as I keep moving forward, the light of God will illuminate the next step of my path. It's kind of like your car, car lights on, on, your, on your car. When you turn your headlights on, when you're out there at night, if you just park your car and turn your headlights on, you can only see so far. But when you start moving in that car, the farther you move, the more the light illuminates your path. If you'll just take another step, God's light and his word will show you another pace in front of you of where you can stand once again. And that's what's happening here. God is saying, hey, listen, it's time to obey. It's time to move forward. I, I, I love this in verse 19. It says, at the beginning of the middle of the watch, when they had just set watch, verse 20, then the three companies blew their trumpets and broke their jars, and they held in their left hand the torches, and their right hands the trumpets to blow, and they cried out, a sword for the Lord for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and they fled. The Lord set every man's sword against his comrade, and against all the army. So as these trumpets blew, as these jars uh, were broken, as they seen these flames, uh, these lit torches that were in these jars, the enemy camp itself woke up all groggy. What's going on? They heard the sound and thought they were being invaded. And so they turned on each other, not being able to see who it was in the camp with them. It was actually the rest of the Midianite army. And they began to destroy one another. They were in darkness and God used the darkness. God used the enemy to defeat the enemy. There wasn't one soul lost in Gideon's army because Gideon fought the way the Lord wanted him to fight. This strategy was the best strategy that could ever be used. And I, I love the fact that God in the story never tells Gideon 
how it's going to work out. He just says, get some lamps, you know, get some torches and, and get, get some of these, these pots, these clay pots, right? Get these trumpets and, and, and just be ready. And then God gives the word to light the torch, and put it in a jar to crush the jars and to, and to, and to sound the trumpets. And the army, the enemy, that is an army that is facing them, fights itself and is defeated. Gideon didn't have all the details. All he had was that next step in front of him. And as he took that next step, God illuminated more and more of the path until the enemy was destroyed. The smashing of the jars uh, seemed like ridiculousness. It must have in that time. The blowing of the trumpets must have sounded crazy. This whole camp could rise up. Hundreds of thousands of the enemy camp could rise up and know our exact location. But God knew the future. God knew the future. He doesn't always tell us every detail of the future though. He tells us just enough so that we can go just a little bit farther in his will. Now, that leads us to the final lesson here, and it's number five. That is something very, very cool that we see, that God's reduction of Gideon's army forced him to come up with a plan that was a better plan because it resulted in a victory that didn't have one single casualty. I just wanna remind you tonight, if you do it your way, what you're up against may cost you more than you're willing to pay. It may cost you your life. It may cost you your marriage. It could cost you your health or your family. It could cost you your future. If you do it God's way, you could come through the worst situation that the devil or the enemy could ever face you with. And you could come through without a singe, without a single casualty. You have a choice tonight. You could do it God's way or you could do it your way. If you do it God's way, you're gonna need faith. You're gonna need to trust him for instructions. You won't have all the information and all the details that you need to move forward. You'll have just enough for the next step on your path. So there's three things I wanna leave you with tonight that show us kind of how God works here. And they're actually stages and taking steps on that path. So here it is. First things look impossible, then things look difficult. And then when God finally shows up, that 1159 hour God, that crock pot God, not microwave God, when God shows up, things are no longer difficult, things are done. Isn't that what Jesus said from the cross? He said, it is finished, it is complete, it is done. Folks, tonight I just wanna pray for you. I don't know what it is that you're up against or fighting right now, but I just want to remind you that from the point of view of heaven and the cross, it is complete. It is finished. It is done. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, for this study tonight. I thank you that, God, we had a moment in your word where you may have revealed something to our hearts that we need to give to you. Maybe there's an aspect that we're worried about in our life. Maybe there's something we're struggling with. Maybe there's something we think that we can never be free from. The size of the enemy is, is hundreds of thousands. And God, we're completely weak in being able to defeat it. Father, I want to be reminded, and all of us to be reminded tonight, 
of the story of Gideon, how you show up strong, God, how you're the one that defeats the enemy, how we come through when we trust in you completely, God, without one single casualty. God, we want to give you the praise and we get, want to give you the thanks in advance for all that you're giving us victory in. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you and be a blessing this week. Thanks for tuning in.